Hey folks, welcome to the Freakopolis Times, our podcast mostly about stuff related to our comics and game shop, the Freakopolis Geekery. We're Ian, Tyler, and Troy, and we run the shop and talk to people all the time, just like in this podcast. Join us and some occasional guests as we talk comics, games, pop culture, and just about anything else that pops up. Remember, while some of our topics may get a little geeky, they change up pretty often, so hang in there and maybe the next one will be more your style. By the way, this podcast is video enhanced on YouTube and Spotify. Check it out that way if you like visuals with your talk. You never know what might show up. Now, let's do the show. We're all Halloweened up, decorated. You know what's funny? The beautiful upstate New York autumn that we are well known for. Oh, you know, yeah. there's there's leaf peepers and stuff. All sorts of people come up traveling to come to our region to see the whole five days when the leaves look pretty. <laughs> for you're right. For a good like one to three days there when it was the absolute It was last peak. week. Yeah. That's all that was it okay. though. It's already done. When like, like, <laughs> yeah, it's gone now. It's it's to the brown zone. Yeah. We're in brown town. <laughs> There's still some pretty beautiful trees, even though for the next for the six next weeks. Yeah, yeah, a little while for sure. There will be some. But yeah. there's a lot of brown. Yes. If you make your way out into the country and stuff, there are some that are really striking, you mm-hmm. know, super deep reds and crimsons and yellows and stuff. But when you just look at the general mountain and stuff now, the effect is lost. Well, it's muted in a brown way. Yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, Yeah. It's funny that we are so known for it when, it, you know, peak season is a very short amount of time. You yeah, know. But you still drive past, like, the occasional tree in people's yards or whatever that is, like, it looks like it's on fire. Yeah, know? yeah. Oh, totally. Super beautiful. Mostly. Yeah. Except it's a... Walking here to the shop last week, you know, it looked like you were in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Anywhere from bright green to deep green to red to crimson to... Orange and yellow. Yeah. Well, lucky us for having such a natural spectacle to enjoy. Mm-hmm. But there's other spectacles we've been enjoying, such as Wrath of the Righteous. That's true. Did we talk about this in our last podcast? No, I don't think that we've gotten too into this. Well, it's... Released for PlayStation with Wrath of the Righteous Enhanced Edition, which has some uh, reworkings from the original release that seem to have really brought it into a complete package. And I don't think I've ever played a game that had so much consideration put into its content. And it's kind of mind-blowing. I don't even know how you would be able to like make a sequel to this game and be able to up it you know, a whole point. We've been thoroughly enjoying that game. I've gotten quite a few hours in it in the past few weeks. Uh, you have been playing Mad Mogren, Tyler. Well, the game kind of enamored me in that, uh, you're right, it has so many branching paths with so much consideration involved that even the consideration of a sequel would be mind-blowing. And I mean, it is a sequel to uh, Kingmaker, I think is the, the first Pathfinder title, but everyone says it's pretty pared down, uh, and now Wrath of the Righteous is... Absolutely embraces the whole system, has hundreds of spells animated, uh, all sorts of feats, a huge list from that system. And 
you know, like we've been big fans of uh, Neverwinter Nights, mm-hmm. uh, and you can feel that DNA inside of this game for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, can... I think uh, we mentioned it a little bit before, but you you guys haven't played it a whole bunch. But this is on the PlayStation. It is a recreation of Pathfinder. Yeah, it's kind uh, of a, a classic isometric RPG. Uses experience. the actual rules from Pathfinder, and you build actual Pathfinder characters. Mm-hmm. Which is really a derivative of D&D 3.5. Yeah, it's like super 3.5. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's lots of different character types. And essentially you guys each built a sort of lead character and then that character acquires um, like hirelings and stuff, right? Hirelings, so, either that you build from the ground up or in-game NPCs that have long stories behind them. Still super customizable, uh, like you're building a, Yeah. D&D or Pathfinder character. Yeah, for sure. And they really do succeed in giving you, I think, more role-playing options than almost any classic RPG I've ever played, uh, which is pretty phenomenal, because I've played a good amount of them. Like, I'm a big fan of Neverwinter Nights, of course, or uh, Wasteland, Mm -hmm. but those games, even though they have a lot of different ways you can tackle their quests and stuff, feel very combat-oriented, whereas Wrath of the Righteous succeeds in being... Kind of an equal split between the combat experience, which is incredibly in-depth, and the choices you make along the way and how you treat these companions and the many, many branching paths. Uh, It's pretty wild how much content it seems there is to it. And even if you play through once, there's eight mythic paths. Uh, So I was told by my friends who suggested the game to me, at least two or three of them completely flip the game on its head. Uh, which is pretty wild. Yeah. For a <laughs> RPG of its length. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. pretty <laughs> impressive they were able to pull that off. Oh, totally. So it's got some big giant core story and then probably a bunch of side quests sort mm-hmm. of things. Oh, yeah. And you guys are both playing it. It's a single-player experience, so um, basically that means that you're encountering a lot of the same things, I would imagine, right? It, <sighs> it, it sounded like... Tyler, you were a bit ahead of Ian, and it sounded like you knew some of the things he was coming upon. So, how much of the game is going to be the same uh, for every player, well, and how much is, is going to be really different, do you think? I did have some insight. I think you're playing on a slightly higher difficulty than me, so mm-hmm. you might see some upscaled enemies compared to me, but like you'll know where the boss is going to be. Or that you probably shouldn't check that room just yet. You'll yeah. have to come back to it. Stuff like that. Though, he's found a bunch of different stuff that I never saw in my playthrough. And a bunch of different items and uh, magic gear. And- yeah, it feels as though the content is so varied and broad that uh, you would always miss something or find something new uh, every time you play okay, through. Okay, but how about like the choices you make? How is that affecting the game any differently? <laughs> Wildly. I was going to say, in a crazy amount. Okay. So... We got an example? Just from... I mean, we're really in the first third of the game, so there's only so much we can speak to it. Some of the real huge game-changing decisions happen in the midpoint, of course, but... Already, per se, uh, you threw a parade in your honor. Right. <laughs> uh, Matt exactly. Mogren did, yeah. <laughs> Once you're the leader of this crusade, you have many decisions to make that can influence things and your diplomacy across the world or how your armies fight their war against the demons. But it also goes down to stuff like 
uh, you know, how do you treat your friend <laughs> and how much that is going to impact the future or if you bring them on certain missions or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are some counsels that you bring forth because the main plot is that you're leading this crusade against the demons uh, in this world. Some of these counsels that you bring forth are filled with decisions that you make prior to executing combat plans and stuff. And the game, in fact, on top of being one of the most in-depth RPGs I've ever seen, is also like a grand strategy game where you're capturing forts and recruiting armies and uh, playing on a much larger scale at the same time because you're the commander of the crusade. So it has just layers and layers of content to it that truly has kind of blown my mind. I mm -hmm. don't think I've seen a game quite so complete in a long time. That's true. It, it's not early access. Yeah. You know, Baldur's Gate 3 is a very very similar game. It's 5e's take on It's only had its first an act for the past like 2 years. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long first act. There's a lot mm -hmm. to do. It feels like a, you know, pretty complete little story there except there's so much more to be done yeah. you know yeah like i think path of the righteous has like at least four or five acts yeah that's pretty wild i'm definitely excited to dive into the rest i know a lot of people uh say that they don't beat it because of its length <laughs> that can be the case with some games and there's quite a few games where you know uh, let's per se elden ring about Four-fifths of the way through, I was like, oh, this is about when this game should end. And yet they keep poking you further and further along for the last, you know, ten hours or so. I could see them doing this, doing that, but you're so... By that point, you'll have so much invested into it because yeah. it actually has a story yeah, that you've yeah. shaped and influenced, you know. And dealing with those consequences. Yeah, you know, I get that some people just don't have the time to beat such a lengthy game, but I do, so I'm looking forward to <laughs> <laughs> seeing what's going on there for sure. And as far as just writing and characters and setting goes, uh, they got some pretty talented folks over there at that studio putting things together because it's satisfactory the way through. And voice acting. I was going to say, the voice acting is kind of legendary at this point. Yeah, we were just, well, <laughs> you just encountered a, an angel avatar that had the most freaking awesome voice actor. He was into it. Yeah, yeah. I am the holy hand of Iomene. Right, exactly. <laughs> this guy's awesome. <laughs> and he had a lot to say. He did. He went on for minutes yeah. just carrying on that boisterousness. But when they got that guy in the studio, he was like, I am ready. Yeah. I am I am the angel lord today. <laughs> <laughs> he was quite the inspiring leader. I'd follow that dude anyway. Yeah, yeah, right? I was listening to him. I was like, this is freaking great. And that alone sets it aside pretty well because there's a lot of good RPGs that, and not that this one is bereft of any amount of reading, but there's a lot of RPGs that lack on the voice acting side of things, and this is not one of them. So in Magic the Gathering, the Infinity set uh, finally came out. Everybody's been knowing about it for, I don't know, some months, Six months yeah, yeah. or more. Um, but Infinity finally released, and we've seen a lot of packs opened. We've mm -hmm. seen a bunch of matches played. Um, so what's the deal? What do you think? <laughs> it's. I think it's actually better than I anticipated it to be as a set. Mostly because 
every pack has value because of those wickedly cool basic land arts. Yeah, that was surprising. Those were cool. Mm-hmm. They're really gorgeous. I don't blame people for scrambling for them. A full set of those in any deck is going to look super gorgeous. I think a galaxy art foil land is like 180 bucks right now so oh man yeah yeah there's a few of them well there's specific ones that you can get that uh you have to pay two for them to be pay two life for them to come in untapped right uh, people really love those they're double lands yeah they're super useful in commander and uh high life total formats and stuff so definitely scrambling for those but those galaxy foils like you said are also super standout like i don't think they've ever quite printed foils uh, until very recently that had such cool detail to them mm-hmm. i'm excited to see where they use that in the next set yeah 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 now they have if they have this uh printing kind of to match like pokemon's quality the pokemon trading card game their print quality is insanely cool and you're seeing a lot of that same technology and techniques being adapted on the magic the gathering side and i say it's about time because you should know immediately when you have A wickedly awesome magic card. Whereas sometimes, I've seen people, I have cards in my collection where I'm like, that's a $12 card? Like, it looks so mundane, you know? (laughs) Looks like every other magic card. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And how about the the more whimsical side of Infinity? You know, the, the lands, the special lands are like, the reason collectors would buy those bo- those boosters, but the real experience of playing this wacky ass playing on infinity, yeah. yeah. Uh, it looks like fun for sure. Drafting up those crazy decks using the attractions, using all the completely wild effects. I saw some cards being flung at the table for a dark game. Style oh, yeah. gameplay, yeah. How many it. outlets can you see right now? Mm-hmm. I, mean, <laughs> I will say, however, uh, kind of a missed idea with the stickers, I believe, because no one, I haven't seen a single sticker actually be placed on a card. They're like, oh, commemorate your whole experience by ruining the cards. Yeah. Uh, Getting rid of those stickers. Yeah, well, I don't think that people are going to want to do that, and I, I haven't seen anyone even attempt to build decks around sticker play personally because it seems uh counterintuitive i'll say yeah i mean well i guess people apply value to magic cards mentally Mm -hmm. and yeah they you know is this deface them is is this the right time to to burn this card (laughs) no i mean some of that is the idea it's supposed to be very whimsical uh, lighthearted, and, and the cards are really only so good for playing in general formats, unless you get very lucky, pull those seldom few cards that are, but when you're playing Onfinity, uh, you're supposed to be willing to sacrifice these things left and right, and a lot of people are not, <laughs> they, they obviously. They can't bring themselves yeah. to do it. No, no. The, I think people will save them for no good reason. I don't think they're going to have any collectability, uh, but Perhaps. Ten years down the line, a, a whole sticker sheet might be. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Those people that are still using their sticker tribal infinity deck. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna be desperate <laughs> for unused sticker cards. <laughs> True enough. Then you got you know fifteen dollars a piece per draft pack. <laughs> no, all in all, though, it is a very entertaining concept to play in such a wacky way. And some of those cards are applicable in current various uh, formats yeah yeah more limited formats or 
uh, not limited the format. <laughs> There's a mm-hmm. smaller selection of formats, I'll say, uh, that you can include a few of these cards in. And yeah, pretty fun stuff. They're and they're marked. They're marked whether you can use them in. Yes, uh, if it's right, it's if they have the acorn, you can use them. Right. If they don't have the acorn, good to go. <laughs> the okay. acorn is uh, we're kind of like the rarity little uh, foil stamp that they put on their more you know the cards that they don't want to be actually played counterfeited. Ah, uh, that's why they put oh, that little. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a production technique to make sure that you know it's a real magic card because it would be hard to produce a magic card with a tiny little foil oval on the bottom. Uh, these ones, the oval is now an acorn, and when you have those acorn cards, they're only for infinity, uh, meaning that. Feel free to, yeah, I guess if the cards tell you to light it on fire and huff the fumes, <laughs> <laughs> then that is what you are meant to do. Okay. <laughs> oh, I pulled Dank McGregor. Roll this card and smoke it. If you do, draw seven cards. <laughs> kind of missed the immediate reaction on this one but uh it's not too late i feel because this is going to be the buzz until it just comes out uh and and by just comes out i mean the deformity that is going to be the mario movie (laughs) i was not sure where you were going with that (laughs) so many possible Places you could take it to. The Mario movie, yeah. Yeah. Which, I was so concerned that was going to be like, oh no, they're not doing this live action, are they? (laughs) They already did that. (laughs) That's what I thought as well. It has a cult following. Yes, you heard that Chris Pratt was playing Mario, and you were like, not live action, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then I thought, why would... Not voice acting, right? Yeah. Yeah. What way is he... Playing Mario. Yes. He is voice acting Mario, which, as far as deformities go on media, that means that Jack Black as Bowser is an incredibly strong pair of legs. Then you have uh, Keegan-Michael P- uh, Michael Key, is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. as Toad. As Toad. Yep. This is a, this is a fine midsection torso. Mm-hmm. The arms being... Uh, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. And... Uh, what's his name from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I know the one you're talking about. Ian... No. The other guy. His name, Charlie... Day. Charlie Charlie Day. Day. Yeah, Charlie Day as Luigi. And then for the head, a completely bulbous, out-of-shape misformed... Ugly Sonic-looking... Chris Pratt. Yeah. As as Mario, turning it from a beautiful sculpture into a monstrosity. Why are we building this up? Transformer style. <laughs> I'm making a visual it's, metaphor. This is how ah. the director pitched the casting. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. I feel as though the it has a Herculean body and a I see. a grotesque head. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, maybe we're not giving the guy enough credit. Maybe he can pull off those Mario whoop-de-doos. I think that he is uh, not the right casting for this role. This I, is how I'll put but it. But we know, we're, you know, I really don't believe he's going to even do that. Maybe they're trying to move away from Mario having a 
fake Italian accent. <laughs> Maybe. Well, you know, I generally am not too harsh a critic, so I'm going to give him a shot here, actually. In spite of my visual metaphor really putting him down. But I'm hoping that his readaptation at least has the necessary amount of effort put into it. Because Jack Black sounds like he is going to make this movie awesome. Just from the yeah. trailer alone, it's like, well, that wasn't hard to predict. This guy's going to nail it. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I think Jack Black's got a perfect voice and style for that character. Yeah. Yeah, that so, was well cast. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which just juxtaposes Mario being Chris Pratt. <laughs> I, well, and I think the problem with that is that Mario has... we There's sort of a pre-existing behavior, sound, all of that, that that comes with Mario. Yeah, and the voice Uh, actor is still alive and does work. (laughs) (laughs) I think he has said that doing the Mario voice for an extended period or something is straining on him at this point. He only likes to do it for, you know, small takes. But uh, I'd say there's probably about 10,000 other voice actors out there. It's true. This is true. But now... I think they were looking for a personality. They were. And and as I understand it, this is maybe one of those uh, reincarnated in a video game. Yes, he's been isekai. <laughs> yeah. We've, we have some theories, yeah. 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 So then, you know, maybe, maybe just his internal monologue is uh, Chris Pratt's regular voice. Maybe. <laughs> He's putting kind of a, a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That works. It could work if he puts the effort in okay. in a big way. And it doesn't just sound like Chris Pratt went to the studio and Put did a, a crappy Brooklyn, Brooklyn accent, you know? I think I think what they're doing by that idea of, you know, he's reincarnated as Mario or whatever, is they're they're basically trying to say, put aside everything you know pre-existing about about Mario and his Mm -hmm. behavior and his sound and his, you know. Uh, On the flip side of that, though, yeah, they're trying to give him a lot of character. That's cool. I hope it works. But he didn't actually have to have any dialogue at all, as far as I'm concerned. Everyone else could have spoken to him and he could have said, Yahoo! And everybody (laughs) would have been like, Hey, that's Mario! Everyone loves him! It would have been pretty fitting. You don't need Chris Pratt for star power when your main character is Mario. Everybody (laughs) knows him. Like, everybody. So, he's an icon of the gaming world so ubiquitous that 80-year-olds are like, Oh, that's a Mario machine, isn't it? (laughs) Why, yes it is, actually. So, you know... To give him a voice actor who really is going to put their own spin on it, I feel, is a risk compared to otherwise surprisingly great casting, as far as I'm concerned. Like, mm-hmm. all those other guys are going to put their hole into it and uh, and really try to bring those characters to the big screen in a cool way. So, I mean, I guess we're going to... We'll, we'll see trailers... Yeah, uh, and we'll know a lot more about how they're playing it and and how it works. Uh, but you know, y- your predisposition is likely to be, you know, oh man, that just doesn't seem right. And I'm not alone in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. The internet's general reaction over the last week and a half or so was uh, 
But why Chris Pratt? <laughs> right. Everything else. I mean, and that animation studios who did Minions stuff mostly, I believe. Wow. Uh, That's some pretty top-notch stuff. Yeah, it has taken strides and, you know, the lighting and the the way it looks is pretty strikingly cool. Those artists are obviously working hard. Nintendo, on the other hand, for some reason, was like, it's got to be Chris Pratt. <laughs> look at the guy. Look at look at our look at Mario. That's that speaks Chris Pratt to me. American hero. Yeah. Mario. It's, yeah. it's just a strange take, that's all. Will Mario be like just putting his hands out and taming Velociraptors <laughs> and stuff? Oh. Or the Goombas. Oh, what if they had a scene where he like did that to the the Goombas or the uh, turtles, whatever they are. It would be immortalized as being meme as all hell. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the direction they should go on. Yeah, no, campy and, and funny. Uh, and all the comedians in it will push it that way. Lighthearted, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's got a ton of potential, for sure. Even then, a lot of people noted that, like, Bowser didn't give a witty one-liner when he was asked if he yields by the Penguin Army there. He just says, no, I do not, and then burns the whole place down, which actually sets him up as a serious antagonist instead of being like, oh, the whole thing is going to be so quippy the whole time, you know? Right, like, right. <laughs> There's some real danger. Yeah, yeah, I can dig that, so I really hope that works out. Oh, they also have uh, Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. He hasn't been featured yet, but... Uh, I'm betting that's going to be awesome. It will be, <laughs> no doubt. Oh man, another thing that I had from uh, last week that we didn't get to dive into was Alan Moore. Alan Moore, prolific comic writer. Yeah, yeah. Watchman, Marvel man, all that kind of stuff. Uh, scorned by the industry. Probably a modern Socrates as far as most people are concerned, said uh, within the last two weeks. That, Recently. Uh, in an interview last week, Alan Moore warned, infantile love for Batman and other superheroes can be a precursor to fascism. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also coming from somebody who makes characters that are multidimensional. <laughs> yeah, true enough. Aren't just paragons of justice and... Yeah, society at large. He's thought a lot on that topic. More than I have, so I'm not necessarily going to question his statement there. Now he's got seniority here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but does it speak to maybe a little bit of a, a jab at the industry as a whole? I, I'm not entirely certain where he's getting at with that statement, because I know a lot of people who are big Batman fans who are certainly not fascists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and actually, I think more than not, so it almost feels like, you know, street signs are leading up to fascism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, any anything that pre-exists fascism led up to fascism. Sure enough. You know, <laughs> um, you know, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure... I mean, infantile, the, the, the phrase infantile in there. As a, yeah, qualifier. Yeah, makes me think, okay, well, maybe we are talking about a certain type of person that is, you know. Didn't manage to uh, mature out of 
teenagerdom, essentially. Uh, r- yeah. Right. And, you know, and total hero worship. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, okay. And if you <laughs> scroll through various corners of online forums and stuff, you will find these people, for sure. Mm-hmm. That defend them to their last clickety-clacked word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. So, no, I suppose, right, it, it's taking the quote uh, exactly as he presents it. Because it's very easy to misinterpret and think that he's attempting to uh, say that superheroes equal Nazism. But obviously that's not what he's... He profits off of superheroes every damn week, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not what he's getting at. He's trying to highlight a certain subsector of of geekdom uh, that in fact does kind of have a predilection towards uh, having fascist ideology. You see that being more and more pronounced these days, but in general, we here at Freakopolis and the comic book industry, I believe, stand quite opposed to such ideals. You're going to find few stories on our shelves that uh, praise fascism to any ideal. <laughs> and by few, I mean absolutely none. <laughs> Unless it's in some sort of a satirical way. Yeah, yeah, sure. The boys, I guess. Right. But even then, you would have to be, uh, you would have to have a wisdom score of three not to, to not understand. be able to see what you're you're seeing there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, the boys must be one of the most blatant attempts at satire of that, you know? Uh, mm. You would really have to not understand art at all to miss that. <laughs> <laughs> but... I feel as though, uh, yeah, the uproar over that quote was because of a misunderstanding, but the truth of it may be a little bit deeper and may require a little bit more contemplation uh, than just a a first (laughs) read-through. I mean, you said people have to have, you know, any understanding of art to understand that the boys is satire and Homelander's bad, yet there's people, like like millions of fans, that think Homelander's the the goat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they were they were shocked to find out that Homelander was the bad guy. Yeah, true enough. I'm glad that the directors of that show uh, seem to take a degree of joy in unveiling that curtain for them. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to make a statement, which is good. Art art should make a statement for sure. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's just one example in a broad industry. And you do see, I think on the broader scale, stuff from the Titans, you know, DC and Marvel, have been loved by so many people that, of course, they'll be adapted for a bunch of different ideologies. You know, it's not even against Nazis to use Superman as a, you know, the Ubermensch as a a symbol when he was made by a Jew, you know? (laughs) Well, and I think... Characters like the Punisher have been appropriated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, That's and, what I was trying to get at. It took and, me a minute. And, <laughs> and probably appropriately so. I mean, you know, he kind of is meant to be, I guess, to some degree, their hero. Right. You know, um, which is... Kind of messed up. Yeah, yeah. it's a little bit Symbol of vigilante justice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't want to murder yeah. any... Yeah. At, at will discretion, you know. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I think that the Punisher might have been a more poignant example for Alan Moore to use because that feels 
more representative of what's actually going on. Yeah, true. I, I find that uh, Punisher fans, <laughs> there's definitely two different coins to that. There's people who like Marvel and, you know, enjoy. Think he's a cool character. Yeah, yeah, enjoy collecting the books and stuff. And there are people who identify with the Punisher. Right. And that is. Well, I mean, you know, he's badass. He's. He's one of Marvel's badass characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. No denying that. And so, you know, he's meant to appeal to... Tough guys. Yeah, dudes that like the idea of being badass. Yeah, yeah. And and <laughs> peak masculinity, you know, uh, like... <laughs> RPG over the shoulder and 50 cal at the hip. And a machete by the waist. And right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I suppose... You know, it's a bit of a, a light overview of the topic, but it is something to consider. And Alan Moore uh, is a, he's like a 20 wisdom dude. <laughs> he probably know? knows what he's talking Yeah, about. yeah, when he when he speaks of such things, I would listen. He also looks like he's crazy, though. Oh, yeah, he looks like a lunatic. Yeah, so he looks like a lunatic, and he's doing this street profit kind of stuff. So, I don't know. I, personally, I'd listen but then process yeah, yeah. myself. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, like any artist's words. <laughs> and that about does it for this one. If you like hanging with us, please subscribe through your favorite podcast directory. Join our Discord and check out our shop, The Freakopolis Geekery. See you next time.